On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark. And today's guest makes me feel honored. It's Jad Fair, and he doesn't do many interviews. So when we were able to make this happen, I was thrilled. Jad is one half of half Japanese. Quarter Japanese? And he's not even actually Japanese. I learned that and a lot more in this episode. Okay, I knew he wasn't any Japanese before doing this podcast, but what I did learn was how Jad creates his unique music. It began when he and his brother David began creating music back in Michigan in the early 70s. That music came to the attention of a pre-teller, Penn Gillette, but Penn isn't the only collaboration Jad has had. In fact, that was just the beginning. Jad has played with some amazing people like Mo Tucker, Steve Fisk, and Daniel Johnston. And Jad's music isn't the only unique art he creates. He draws, makes paper cuttings that become album art, and he even designed his own guitar that is held together by rubber bands and can be folded in half to make it easier to travel. We also touch on the different hurdles that there are to getting noticed in music and how that's changed since Half Japanese started recording. So follow him on Instagram at jad.fair. Find his music on Kill Rockstars, Joyful Noise, Fire Records, and Moon Records, or Bandcamp. And follow us at Performance ANX on X and Instagram. Merch is at performanceanx.threadless.com. Send a cup of coffee to us at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. And prepare to enter the magical world of love songs and monsters with Jad Fair on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay. Um, my name's uh, Jad Fair, and I'm in the band uh, Half Japanese. And uh, I've got a couple new records with Samuel Lockward on uh, Kill Rock Stars. And you're listening to uh, Performance Anxiety. And uh, thanks a lot. Well, it's, it's so seldom that I ever do this. Oh, well, well, thank you for doing it yeah. for me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. This is really cool because I think the first time I ever heard anything you did was early 90s. Or, yeah, yeah, early 90s on the Velvet Underground tribute album. <laughs> okay. And it was really, I want to know a little bit about what got you into music in the first place, because you are part of one of the most unique original bands of all time in half Japanese. You guys sound like nobody else. And what I find always fascinating with bands that are so unique is something had to draw you into music in the first place. And I wanted us just kind of wondering, was music an important part of your childhood growing up or was it something that like your, your brother got you into what music played a, an important part in your life? Well, listening to music always was very important to me, but it wasn't until going to college when my, uh, my brother David and I were able to rent a house together. 
okay. very close to the campus. And the house was so remote that we were able to play music any time of the day that we wanted to. So we certainly made full use of that. Oh, nice. What were you listening to that really made you get into music in the first place? And you guys are from the, the well, from uh, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, we, yeah. We, I'm going my my computer's going still a well, little nuts right now. I'm working on an old laptop. It's giving me some trouble today. So, well, I'm growing up in in Michigan. So many of my favorite bands were Michigan bands, um, the Stooges and MC Five and um, Destroy All Monsters. Question mark and the Mysterians. I mean, there were so many uh, truly fine bands back then. Even now, there's a, a lot of great Michigan bands. Oh yeah. So, I think uh, well, well, that and I'm also I was a huge fan of um, Captain Beefheart and um, or um, Lyle Coxell, um, oh, wow. Sun Ra. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I was listening to quite a few different things back then a quite a, a wide variety of stuff too because that's some a, a wide range of music there's sunrod of the stooges to mc5 that's well, it, it's kind of surprising because i grew up in a very small town um, oh yeah so it certainly was not urban um <laughs> at all uh, it was just a tiny little town uh, but my brother somehow had the albums so i was lucky in that regard that uh david always seemed to have the uh, most recent things and, and not just the most recent things but the really cool things right. <laughs> so. so did you guys ever take any musical lessons did you start playing instruments at all when you were a kid uh well in high school i, I took a music course but I can't say I've got anything from it, oh, really. Um, <laughs> what instrument did you play? Uh, well, I got my drums. I had a, a bongo that oh, I thought sorry. I was trying to uh, do something with. So, you know, that that was it. So, you know, in um, high school, I, I was banging on, on drums just to, uh, I, I didn't have a real drum set. I just had the, uh, you know, uh, boxes and, and pans and, and junk that I banged on. I had that, and I also had a saxophone that I enjoyed playing. But you you didn't really play anything seriously until you moved to Maryland. Then, uh, well, when when uh, my brother and I went to college, um, it, it was at Grand Valley State College in oh. uh, Michigan. Oh, okay, okay. So that that was would have been in uh, like seventy four. We started playing oh, okay. and uh, recording things, but it wasn't until like seventy six, seventy seven that we were in Maryland and started uh, releasing things. Okay. What made the, what made you guys move from Michigan to Maryland? Uh, well, my, first of all, my parents moved there and, and I, I would go to visit them at Christmas time. And it, it seemed like a good thing to me because, you know, <laughs> going from Michigan where it was very cold and then I, I would go to see them at Christmas and it would be like, you know, 15, 20 degrees warmer right. in Maryland. And, and that appealed to me. So that makes sense. Um, and now I'm in Texas, which is even warmer. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of gravitate toward the, uh, the warmth. You're slowly making your way to the equator. 
Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so what made you guys start a band then? Uh, what was the impetus to, to start Half Japanese and how did you pick that name? Uh, well, we, we picked the name just drawing words out of a hat. Oh, wow. uh, we, we had uh, two hats. We pulled the word um, half out of one. And then out of the other hat, we pulled um, Japan, which would have been half Japan. But we, we thought half Japanese kind of had a better uh, ring to it. And uh, at, at that, I think we put J- Japan in, in there because at the time we were listening quite a bit to uh, Yoko Ono. Uh, oh, wow. We had a lot of Yoko's albums. And uh, it was that um, also um, the uh, Japanese uh, uh, monster movies we were a big fan of. That's a place a big part in your career, the monsters, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is Half Japanese the first band that you got you were officially ever really a part of? Yeah, yeah it, it was. It was. I mean, I kind of messed around with, with some other musicians during high school, but as really a band, it wasn't until half Japanese. Okay. And you guys really, nowadays it's not uncommon for people to self-record and self-release, but you guys were doing that in the seventies when it was not as easy to record at home and, and no, no. find places to, to, to release your music. Well, at, at that time, I mean, there were a few other people doing it. You know, I can think of the residents and our Stevie Moore. Um, there was, um, oh, and beyond that, um, Los Angeles Free Music Society. And that was pretty much it. So, yeah, um, it's not like it's ubiquitous now. I mean, everybody's got their own band or their own project, and they're all releasing it on SoundCloud or, or Spotify themselves. Oh, also... I should say Armin Schrobach, too. I really enjoyed his music. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. 
They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as-needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day, and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen, and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. You self-released a lot of music, early to mid-70s and all. And then I read... Something, and I, I, I'm hoping you can kind of clear this up for me because I'm not sure. I've read this two different ways. The uh, record label, uh, was it 50, <laughs> I want to pronounce it, 50 Skadillion uh, Watt Records. Yes. I've read both that the band started that, but that also Penn Gillette started it to release half Japanese albums, which, how did that start? Well, well the, the, the first two um, EPs uh, were released by my brother David and I and I'm under that uh, record label okay but then then it, w- it wasn't until several years later that um Penn Gillette and uh, MC Caustic started their label which which had, had the same um label title is, is what <laughs> David and I used to have wow so it's a, how did you meet and and start releasing stuff with on his version of fifty skajillion watt records. Well, well Penn, Penn purchased the one one of the uh, EPs. Okay, and and I started boy started corresponding with uh, Penn. It would have been like seventy eight. Wow. Or so yeah, it, he he was at at that time was with um, Asparagus now. And it wasn't until like a year or two after that, that he started working with a, a teller. Oh my gosh. That's so it was early on for both of you. Oh yeah. There yeah. The covers that you guys were doing back then, I, it's fascinating. I mean, your music is fascinating, but I'm very curious as to how you guys chose covers and, recorded them because you know 10th avenue freeze out and tangled up in blue they're amazing but they you know obviously they sound nothing like springsteen or dylan are you picking your favorites from from these artists or is it is there some other process yeah yeah. okay it it was all you know whatever i enjoyed the most but you know i i I certainly uh, wasn't out to um you know play down (laughs) anybody it it was all because i Bruce Springsteen well, did release some very fine albums, you know, the, oh, the yeah. first couple of things. Well, first few th- albums I liked a lot, and which doesn't mean I 
just like what he's doing later. But I, for for my taste, it, it was the the first few albums. Yeah, oh, understandable. I, yeah, and and I've always been a big fan of Bob Dylan. A lot of people are. I've heard. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's the word. <laughs> so back in those days, were you guys the whole the band as a whole? Were you playing out a lot, or were you recording more, or? How, was there a split, like you spent more time recording, didn't play, or were you playing out live shows more and, and just recording as you could? Uh, well, we um, really didn't play out that much. Okay. Uh, it, it, it was usually when someone would invite us to play somewhere. Like we had friends in um, Washington, D.C., the band The, the Chumps would um, have shows and would invite um, my brother and I to be on the same bill with them. Oh, cool. And um, also in uh, when we had shows in Baltimore, it was usually with uh, the Tinklers. So yeah, big fans of both those. Well, and um, also Velvet Monkeys. We did a lot of shows in DC with, with them. Oh, that is awesome. I'm not too far from DC myself. So that's really cool. Yeah. When did the fascination with monsters begin? Because you famously have stated that all your songs are either love songs or songs about monsters. Well, well, that's something my brother said. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And, Sorry. <laughs> and, and that pretty much is the case. Yeah. Um, well, as, as a uh, boy, young kid, my favorite mo- movies were monster movies. And I always looked forward to um, Saturday night. They would have the creature feature. And I would always go to bed early on a Saturday night. My parents would probably think, oh, that's a good boy. But then I'd go to bed early and thinking, well, I'm going to wake up at midnight (laughs) and turn on television, which I did, you know, week after week. I I would do that because I really loved uh, to see the monsters. So what was your favorite? Uh, Well, I, I, I think... Boy, Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, the classics. Yeah. I was, I was, I'll tell you what one always freaked me out was a creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah. That one always, I don't know why, that freaked me out more than just about anything. That and I think it was the, was it the ghost of Frankenstein? I think that was one of them. I don't know. I just remember a scene where there's some, somebody in a boat and he looks down into the water and he sees Frankenstein's face in the water. And it just, that freaked me out. That was when I was a kid that scared the crap out well, of me. The uh, creature from the black lagoon was released as um, 3d as well. I've, so I've oh. seen it both ways. Oh, I've never seen it 3d. Yeah. That's oh, wow. Yeah. You've had I, to say your output has been prolific is not doing justice to the, the the amount and the quality of music that you've you've released i mean you've done an incredible amount of music and you've played with some amazing people i mean i, I was looking at, at the list I mean, this is mo tucker daniel johnston yola tango steve fisk who's one of my favorites Dropped his last dime in the wishing well but he was hoping too close then he found out he's Casper the friendly dove. He was always polite to the people in town. He was nothing but a lazy bum, but goodbye to them. He had to run that. He's Casper the friendly ghost. 
know there's no one way that this kind of thing happens. <laughs> that was a scam call. Oh, no. Yeah, Man, I get so, those too. Uh, yeah, yeah. For the most part, are are you being uh, approached by people, you know, people like like Mo Tucker and Steve Fisk to do things, or are you searching people out to to collaborate with? Well, it usually starts as a friendship. Oh, okay. Because um, that's the best way. I, I, well, I started um, corresponding with with uh, Mo a, a couple of years before we actually met and uh, started recording together. Some, some friends of mine from the uh, Velvet Underground Appreciation Society had uh, a stop in, uh, boy, it was, I think maybe Phoenix, where Mo was living at the time, okay. and gave her a cassette tape of uh, Half Japanese. And she liked the, uh, the tape. So I started writing to Mo. And uh, so, you know, it started as a friendship. And the same with uh, Daniel Johnston. Um, wow. Half Japanese had a show in Austin, Texas back in uh, like 1985, around that. Okay. And uh, Daniel's manager, Jeff Tartikoff, gave me a cassette tape of uh, Daniel. And uh, boy, I was just so impressed with uh, Daniel as a performer and also as a songwriter. Because, uh, I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of um, excellent musicians. But to, for a, a lyricist, you know, that really is something special. Yeah. And I always thought, thought of Daniel as being a genius. And um, I was so fortunate to be able to work with him. Oh, yeah. And, and the music you guys made together is amazing. really it's it's beautiful which makes me think i wanted to ask you this question when you're recording again i, I was watching the, the documentary and you know the way you got the way you and your brother talk about how to master guitar it's you know it's very simple <laughs> the fat chords make the low noises the little ones make the high noises oh, yeah, yeah. when you're going to record music are you writing the songs ahead of time or is it improv or um is it something that uh, is already mapped out ahead of time? Well, uh, usually I'll, I'll, I'll have uh, a few lines written down or, you know, sometimes it's just the uh, song title. Wow. And uh, I, I'm pretty good at just improvising, but um, it's not entirely improvised. It's um, there's a little bit of um, things written down ahead of time, but, but it's very skeletal. Oh, see, so you, 
you basically just come in with an idea and and you work it out while you're recording it. Yeah. Well, with the with the uh, the past uh, like boy four or five um, half Japanese albums, the uh, the um, musicians. Mick Hobbs, uh, Jill Reader, uh, John Sluggett, and uh, Jason Lillard will go in and uh, work out the music and uh, send it to me. And, and then at home, I'll um, add the, uh, the vocal. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a favorite piece of of gear that you use or are you just open to using anything that you can find? I mean, well, I'm, a lot of it I, I just do on computer with uh, oh, GarageBand. Yeah. Oh, so I saw, I was, I was watching the, the documentary, The Band That Would Be King. It's amazing. It is such a great film and what fast one of the i shouldn't say what fascinated me one of the fascinating things that i noticed was 
your actual guitar that you're using throughout the performances in that it looks like the the neck is in <laughs> comes comes apart from I've you know like you're taking it apart when you're packing up but in the middle of a show it's bending and the strings are like a foot away from the 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 neck it's just, it's in a wild setup well I, I started doing that well a couple reasons i started doing that the uh, airlines started charging extra for for extra luggage <laughs> and I, I wanted a guitar that i could um fold in half and put in my carry-on luggage so i started doing that and also one advantage is quite often when i have shows in other countries i, I won't have uh, proper work papers you know, um, <laughs> so you know, just between you and I, you got it. You um, got it. So, uh, having a guitar that doesn't look like a full guitar, even if the customs people have a look at it, they don't see it as being anything uh, professional, which, which is good. So I'm actually keep my, when I put the guitar together now, I, I do it with uh, rubber bands. Um, Really? Which, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, which you know, I'm able to do a lot of like wah wah kind of uh, stuff with it. Oh, um, it's okay. So, so that yeah. that makes a lot more sense now that uh, thinking back on um, what I was watching and how you were bending the neck so much and it wasn't snapping. That, oh no! Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, rubber bands. That is amazing. Oh my god! Now I want one of those guitars. I, I want a guitar that'll do that. That is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, well, I didn't. Don't have a patent on it yet. <laughs> not, shh, not yet. Yeah, maybe we'll work on that. You've also gotten into some incredible art. Your drawings and and your paper cutting—they're beautiful. How did you start getting into doing the the paper cutting? I was doing a lot of um, traveling with touring with uh, half Japanese, mm -hmm. and I wanted to have something to do during the uh, the long, you know, very long trips in the van and I, I would find that you know trying to read in a moving van i would get headaches so you know that's no good and, and right. doing drawings in a moving van my hand just wasn't that steady but i found that i was able to use scissors which <laughs> doesn't really sound like that safe a thing but you know I've, but i've never cut myself um doing it so you know hey that's it is what it is yeah well they're amazing they're so intricate i love them they're they're just fascinating i was looking at some of the stuff some of the uh, works on your website and they're just beautiful oh thank you thank you, you so you mentioned that you, you got into that touring at its height how often were you guys on the road i mean were, were you doing like you know, a hundred dates a year or more or less. I mean, at the peak of, of touring, how, what was it like for you? Uh, and at the peak, I'd, I'd say maybe like 35 shows during a year okay. was probably the, the most. And, and, um, I've, I've come way back on, on that now, now it's maybe not even 10 shows during a year. Wow. Do you care? It's probably 10. Do you stay? Uh, do you try to stay regional then, or do you go out? Do you spread out? Uh, well, I just had some shows in England and uh, France. That's spreading out. Uh, four shows in England and two in France. But 
it had been years since I did that. Well, because of the uh, pandemic made it difficult to travel. Okay. So that, that brings me to the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about. 2021. I know a lot of people who, who released albums because they didn't really, you know, they couldn't go tour. They had no place to play. So they worked on, on their music, but your discography in 2021 is unparalleled. I mean, I think it was what, like 146 releases in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been that, uh, well, 146 on Bandcamp, but then I also had other releases not, not on Bandcamp that year. So <laughs> I'd say total, it was probably about 150. Wow. And these releases aren't just like a single here or there or an EP. I mean, they're full length releases. There's 12, oh, yeah, yeah. 13, 14 songs. I mean, and, and I noticed on some days you'd release like three albums a day. It, it's just amazing. I mean, was that as a response to the pandemic and, and not being able to get out and, and, and work and, and do stuff? It, it, it was partly that, partly that. Um, and uh, I hardly ever do um, New Year's resolution. I'm, I'm going to release 100 albums in a year's time. And uh, about halfway through the year, I thought, well, anybody can release 100 albums. I'm going to do 150. Anybody. So, huh? <laughs> so yeah, so I'm kind of upped it a bit. Yeah. I would say so. <laughs> is and I guess maybe that maybe you've this has been asked and answered already. But with that amount of material, was that I guess recording it as improvisational, or was it more? I've got some old material that I'm going to start recording and releasing, or was it a mix? It, it was a mix. It was a mix. Uh, I. I, I than older things. And um, when I say older things, it would have been older notes from years ago that that I hadn't really gotten around to recording yet. Okay, so it, was, it wasn't like older recordings. It's, it's everything no, no, that no. is new. It's just... Yeah. Okay. Uh, one, one second. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll just... Hello? Hello? Okay, um, see you in a little bit then. Oh, sure. Okay, sounds good. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. All right. So, so like we we're saying, th- that wasn't like older recordings that had been laying around and you just released them. This, everything from 2021 was newly recorded. It may have just been an, an older idea. Uh, well, there was maybe four albums that, that were um, released earlier, but, but okay. not, not on Bandcamp. Well, not officially released. Um, okay. But four out of but, 150, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'll let yeah, that okay. one slide. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you got it, you got it. So you've recently released two albums with Samuel Locke Ward, which are awesome and they seem to fall within uh what your apparently your brother had mentioned the love songs and songs about monsters 
I've got the one right here. I was just listening to it. Okay, well, good. So, so Happy Hearts seems like it's much more of uh, an album with love songs. Um, yes. And Destroy All Creatures is definitely more focused on the monster aspect. So was that planned that way? Were they, were they... It, it was planned that way because uh, we wanted to have the uh, uh, Halloween uh, release and, you know, monsters certainly would fit that bill. Makes sense. And uh, Sam and I uh, hit, have um, recorded a, another album, which hasn't been released yet, but we're, uh, we're working on, on the uh, mixing of that album. Is and, it Christmas which songs? Is, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> Dang. Uh, but it, uh, it, it's been great to work with Sam. How did you um, meet him in the first place? Uh, well, he, he sent a, uh, a message to me on Facebook. I should have guessed. Um, saying that he was wanting to record with me. And at, at that point, I had only, uh, boy, I was about, a, about 35 albums in, in, into the year of recording, you know, hundred some, and, and I told him, you know, I, boy, I didn't really feel that I could take on, on anything more at this time. Um, but please write to me again in a couple months. So he wrote to me a, a couple months later. And at that point I had over 50 albums recorded. So I thought, yeah, you know, I can do it. Um, so we started uh, recording, um, uh, one song each week and and that that was was a, a good uh, schedule for him and a good one for me was it all remote or did you guys get the chance to meet up at all during this process uh, no it was all remote he, he would do the music at his home and i would do the uh, vocal at, at mine and, and i also added some uh, instruments but it, it was mo- Almost entirely, uh, the music was Sam. Wow, wow. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, on Happy Hearts, I think my favorite is Donuts. I, I, I love that. <laughs> okay, well, good. I absolutely love that song. <laughs> you can buy by the dozen, you can buy by the pound. Donuts. And you'll be glad you got them. Pass a few around. Donuts. You're as sweet as cinnamon donuts, and you make the world seem right. Donuts, waste chocolate. I don't so the new the new release is "Destroy All Monsters," and I think "Ain't It a Shame" might be. And I I will come a hundred percent clean. I have not been able to listen to all. 200 and some releases that, that you've done and, and all the half Japanese haven't been able to catch up yet. But from what I have listened to over the years, I think Ain't It a Shame is maybe my favorite song that you've ever done. Uh, oh, well, thank you. Evil, 
close close second is Book of the Dead, which I really like how that you have you kind of have two songs about the Necronomicon on this on that album. Yeah, I yeah. think that's awesome. Some things are best left unsaid, and this is one of them. Log cabin in the woods, four friends in a book. The Book of the Dead. The Necronomicon. Log cabin in the dead of night. Whatever you do, don't read from it. I don't know any other album that has two songs about the Necronomicon on it. Well, the... uh, uh, Evil Dead movies. I've enjoyed all the uh, Evil Dead movies. Oh yeah, yeah. In listen, and I went back and I was listening to it again today. I think one of the coolest things I've heard in a long time on any piece of music is that amazing tangent that you kind of go off on the Incredible Shrinking Man. <laughs> okay, I, I think that is amazing. The Incredible Shrinking Man. story or was that something that just popped into your head it's funny and that what listening to to it now what strikes me funny is so it was improvised you know and um (laughs) so so often with when i get music from from sam i i do the vocal without ever having heard the music first oh wow Um, and, and more often than not, it, it, it'll be a first take. So that is a, all right. So with so many releases and, and working with so many people, I know you have mentioned that some of some of this is, is improvised and off the cuff, like you just mentioned. Do you have a writing process where you keep your notes somewhere uh, and, and do you just bring a pile of them to reference or how, how does your writing process uh, work? Uh, well, I'm, I have a lot of notebooks and, and sometimes, you know, you, you get to thinking, well, boy, I, I don't really know what to write about. And, and during those times, um, I'll just write down on the uh, the right side of the paper. I'll just write different words that rhyme Okay. and, you know, go to that page and then another page, you know, just words that rhyme and, and, uh, Sometimes, you know, you, you see different words together and that'll kind of click as, as to, well, this word could could lead to something that would lead to the that other word. So, yeah. I guess. So, I mean, are you bringing the, the notebooks in to record as well or, or is, are you just kind of 
relying on your memory to go back and think of things as you know during the right during the recording process i guess maybe more yeah well i'll have words in front of me okay but um quite often you know it, it you know maybe i'll stick to that or maybe not so it, it's it's very loose yeah i was just about loose. to say it sounds like it's a very loose process yeah. are you planning on playing any of this stuff live i know you mentioned that you've, you've cut your live dates down a lot but uh, are you and sam ever planning on playing together Sam has brought that up um, a a few times with me. He'd he'd be real keen on doing it. It's, boy, it's difficult for me to be away from home for um, a long stretch of time. And, uh, you know, I just recently had had shows with Half Japanese. So, you know, I feel a need to be at home for for at least a a bit of time. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, going out again. I think one of the things that I really enjoy about the last two albums, but, but your music in general is there's, there's like an, an innocence, an innocent quality to the, to the sound of everything. Um, and it's really refreshing. And to me, it sounds amazing to hear something refreshing and, and innocent sounding from someone who's been creating art for almost 50 years or more at this point. So I want to thank you for being like a, a, a mental cleanse for my brain. When I listen to your music, it really refreshes me and kind of puts me in a, in, a, in a happier, better mind frame. When I listen to you, you make me smile when I listen to your music. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank so, you. What is the best way for people to find your music? The stuff with, with Sam, but but also any of the other work you've done, half Japanese, your your solo stuff? Uh, I mean, boy, uh, there certainly is just a ton of stuff on, uh, you know, the different streaming things, which I, I, I kind of <laughs> have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I, know, I, I mean, there's so much out there. Uh, but they really don't, don't pay anything, which is the, yeah. the downside of that. So, oh, so it's, that's, a, that's a good point. So you guys, as half Japanese, back in the early to mid-70s, like we mentioned before, you were recording and releasing stuff on your own. But And, and, and I imagine that was difficult to get the attention of labels and, and listeners just doing it that way. And now there's the ability to recorded home that's much easier than it was back then and there's a lot more platforms to self-release but there's so much stuff out there in your experience and in your opinion do you do you think it's harder to be to to find exposure now or back in in the you know mid 70s i i think it's certainly easier to record and easier to get things out there but fighting through all the noise now is just yeah the difficult part. finding an audience is difficult. Yeah, um, I mean, was, yeah. did did you? And I guess maybe that was part of what made one of the great things about Half Japanese was how unique the sound was and is back. You know, back then and even now, uh, maybe made it a little easy. I don't want to say easier, but maybe made it more unique to cut through the noise back then to find an audience. But I just I don't know if it's gotten harder now, if, even for unique bands, because there's just so much out there. How do you find it? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's daunting it, it, almost. It, it is. It is. Uh, I, I will say with half Japanese early on, 
we were so lucky that um, uh, John Peel um, started playing us on his uh, BBC broadcast. Oh, cool! Which he he gave us the 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 first uh, big audience for half Japanese was from his uh, radio show. Oh, wow! And, uh, I think that's what led to um, us getting a record deal for the uh, half gentleman not beasts uh, release. That's amazing. It's it's been amazing. I know you you've got a, a bunch of stuff to do, and I know you like you mentioned at the uh, at the beginning. You don't do this, don't do a whole lot of these. So I want to uh, thank you for your time. And uh, you mentioned oh, Bandcamp. Is Bandcamp the best way to find the albums? Uh, well, you can go to certainly go to the Kill Rock Stars uh, website, and also go to Fire Records and um go to joyful noise so well and moon records there's a lot lot of great um record labels that uh, we've been working with oh wonderful and so this got most if not all of your discographies out there half japanese is there more stuff you mentioned that another release that you've done with that's will be coming out with sam is there more work with half japanese or more solo work for you coming up in the future well, half Japanese. Uh, we we just had a couple uh, recording sessions in London. Awesome. And uh, th- those recordings will be uh, released on uh, uh, Fire Records. Okay. And uh, Fire has been uh, great for uh, half Japanese. In uh, the um, so most of the uh, the half Japanese albums are with Fire. Um, there's a, a few things with uh, Joyful Noise as well. Chad, thank you so much. It's been been wonderful talking with you. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Well, well th- thank you. I, go, going in, into this, when Robert first told me about this, you know, performance anxiety, I thought, well, that's going to be a short interview. <laughs> I, you know, I never, I never have performance anxiety. Oh, that's it's, good. You know, it, um, I just, uh, you know, a lot of people do have that. I, I've never had it. Oh, that is amazing. See, and I'll tell you a little, a quick little story about, about this real fast because people ask and they say, you know, we didn't really talk about having performance anxiety. And that was supposed to be kind of like the through line for each episode is going to talk about how they, how, if they had it, how, how my guests got over it. And the conversations just got so they were they're just so natural and, and casual and all. And, and so I would just forget to ask. And so like out of the first like 20 episodes, I think I asked like one or two people. And so, but at that point I couldn't change the name. It was already. <laughs> oh, okay, well, well, so, so, and it's kind of become more about 
me getting over performance anxiety talking with people that I admire and whose music I like. So it's uh, it's more of a personal name now than anything. So okay, okay, but, okay. Well, it's good to talk to you. the American dream, the big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.